right, all right, all right. Day 253. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so last time we left off talking about the triumphal entry of the Messiah, of Christ, right? And how we are in the last week of Jesus's life. He has entered Jerusalem and he is about to accomplish this exodus, this new exodus, this freeing of his people from bondage to sin, right? This accomplishment of victory over Satan, uh, the powers and, and the powers of darkness. And so Jesus is heading toward his death um, in Jerusalem. And in 21, uh, though, we w- before we get there, we get an interesting narrative, uh, right? Dealing with the prediction of the destruction of the temple. And, and Jesus is going to talk about this before it actually takes place. And this actually take pl- took place in uh, <clears throat> 70 AD. The actual temple in Jerusalem was literally destroyed by the Romans. And so Jesus is going to talk about that. And he will talk about the end of the age in which uh, uh, other places uh, like Mark and Matthew call it the Olivet Discourse. And so basically, uh, much of uh, chapter 21 has to do with the destruction of the temple. And he speaks as well, though, of the righteous judgment that is coming upon Jerusalem. So in other words, fam, this ain't haphazard, fam. This ain't this ain't just a random event that is happening in the world. No, no, no. This is actually this uh, God's righteous judgment that is coming upon Jerusalem, right? And this is the city, hear this, this is the city who Jesus had lamented about, right? The one who killed the prophets, the one who stoned those who were sent to her. Go read uh, Luke chapter 13. And this city and the people in the city will be judged. Why? Not just because they've rejected their Messiah for that, for sure, but they have rejected their God, <laughs> God came and visited them like he promised in the book of Isaiah. And guess what? They had rejected him and they reject. And and this text tells us Jesus is like, no, no, no. like they're going to reject you as well. So Jesus is going to go on. He's going to say, disciples, check it out. Persecution is not just probable for you guys, but it's actually promised. Right. And so he he uh, makes his disciples hit. And because of all of this, he's like, yo, the Lord's vengeance must come forth. And Israel, the temple, uh, all of it and the people have to be renewed, right? They have to be restored and they have to be remade. And in order for God to do that, he has to tear it all down, (laughs) right? And the crazy thing is, I love what Jesus does. Uh, In the midst of all of this, Jesus calls his disciples to endurance, right? He calls them to endurance. He literally says, no, 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 by endurance, gain your lives right and i think that's just a word for us that even in the midst of suffering and persecution uh for the faith christ is calling his disciples to have faith right uh, as well right like he's calling them to endure and and, and this endurance is, is is essentially fam uh just a way we imitate jesus right like we're going to see throughout the narrative how he endures uh his own trial and his own persecution and ultimately uh all the way until death and um you know uh the reason jesus give these gives these signs is because um this destruction of the temple in those days was meant to point to a greater in time reality so in other words that's why he follows and he's like no no like the son of man is gonna come and do his thing in other words he's like yo i'm going to come back in the last days and judge the world right so so what happens on this kind of micro scale what actually happened on a cosmic scale according to jesus 
and then he will come and recreate the world uh, uh, as he comes back on the clouds with great glory to establish his eternal kingdom. And I think what he wants us to know, though, is that as Christians, our power to endure, hear this, our power to endure all that life throws at us comes from the reality, not that Christ came, but even more than that, that we can be confident that he's coming back. Right. Like the 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 capacity to endure all that life throws uh, is because or, or we have the capacity to endure all that life throws at us because of Christ's second coming, not just his first. one. Right. He's going to come. He's going to make all things right. He's going to judge the wicked and he will establish his eternal kingdom over us forever. Twenty two comes. 22 the 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 narrative is moving uh they are at the last supper here jesus is going to give the passover the last supper a new meaning now remember the passover the passover was the celebration of god's deliverance of israel out of out of out of out of bondage <laughs> and so god in this day uh in, in in the exodus right took spotless lambs he slaughtered them and used the blood to place on the doorposts of israelite homes when his judgment came upon the egyptians everybody who had blood on the doorpost was spared and was saved was delivered was redeemed from death right and it's interesting here because jesus is going to reinterpret the passover and say no it's actually about me right that only prefigured and foreshadowed what i will actually accomplish with my life and so here they are at the meal they are at the passover meal that jews would rush to jerusalem to go celebrate and now it's interesting because this is the seventh meal in luke remember that number seven is very important in the bible this is the seventh meal in luke and so much happens here right jesus is going to predict his betrayal he will define what true leadership is he will promise authority to his disciples in the coming kingdom and he will predict peter's failure and warns of his rejection and the rest of the chapter you know what the rest of the chapter unfolds just the way jesus said it would right and so jesus at the end of 22 he's going to go before the sanhedrin right which was the jewish ruling authorities of his day and he is taken up right for being a messianic pretender now remember what jesus uh what the text says in the, the beginning of chapter 22 it says satan actually entered judas right and then when the sanhedrin comes against him he says no no no. like when he gets arrested in the whole nine it's no no it is the hour it is the dominion of darkness right satan and his enemies or satan and his 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 his, his authorities are coming against the messiah and so they come to jesus and they say yo if you are the messiah tell us and then the text says, but he said to them, if I do tell you, you will not believe. Verse 68. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Verse 69. But from now on, the son of man, hear this, will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So much I could say here, but in the interest of time, I can't do it all. Listen, what Jesus does here is he alludes to two texts in the Old Testament. Daniel seven thirteen, when he talks about the son of man and psalm 110 uh being seated at the right hand of god now it's interesting because um in jewish theology uh, uh um before the new testament in the times before the new testament uh there was this idea a concept in jews uh theology about two powers in heaven and that there being diversity and in, in more than one person in the godhead now it's interesting after the christianity comes on the scene jews kind of backpedal from that theology and you kind of don't see it anymore but um 
and, and, and it was based on texts like Daniel chapter seven, right? Where, where, where the ancient of days bestows the kingdom <laughs> and glory and honor on the son of man, the son of man figure. And, and Jesus is basically saying, that's me. <laughs> like, no, 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 I'm that guy. And so this is why, oh no, no they, they hand him over. It's a wrap for Jesus after this, right? They understood exactly what he was saying. And the irony of this text is that Jesus is being persecuted and on trial on the highest drooling, uh, uh, on the highest Jewish ruling court on earth. And Jesus basically responds, fam, with the fact that he will rule over them <laughs> in the higher heavenly eternal courts at the right hand of God. Right. And so Christ is being clear about who he is and he understands what his mission is. And it's to uh, bring God's kingdom on earth. But he can only do that by dying for the sins of his people and being rejected by his own people. Twenty three comes. I love it. And it's so much in this text and I can't get to it all. But Jesus says, yo. Uh, or, or excuse me, the Sanhedrin say, yo, we got to hand him over to Pilate. They hand him over to Pilate. They're like, you got to go, right? And so uh, they basically say, we found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Now, this is all lies, except for the Messiah part, right? He has not opposed payments to Caesar. He is not misleading anybody. In fact, they are the ones misled and deceived themselves. And so after the accusation and being handed over to Herod, and Herod sends him back to Pilate, and guess what? They can't find any reason for charging or executing Christ, right? And so Pilate, nonetheless, even though he can't find any reason for executing Jesus, he caves into the pressure of the crowds. He caves in, right? And, and it's fitting that as Jesus is on the cross, Jesus goes to the cross, and as he is accomplishing the forgiveness of sins, he is asking even that his murderer would be forgiven, right? And as they commit the most heinous sin in humanity, Right. Jesus is asking for his forgiveness. And again, I, I think we just cannot uh, overemphasize the grace, compassion and mercy of Christ. Right. That even his murderer has an opportunity to be forgiven. Right. And he doesn't take it. <laughs> but Jesus, in his moment of death, uh, shows us that he is uh, a great and merciful God. And it's interesting because the, the, the two thieves, right, the, or the two criminals, the text says, the two criminals on the cross, uh, one reviles Christ and the other repents, right? And they were in the same exact situation. And you see that one got it and one didn't. And we just see again, right? It's never too late. Listen, it's never too late for somebody you know, for you yourself, if you're not a, a believer, for for the person you've been praying for to turn to Jesus, right? This man literally <laughs> was on a cross next to Christ. And that was the actual moment he turned to Christ. And so um, I think that's just a, a practical point for us that we can't stop praying for people because we never know uh, when uh, they may turn to the Lord, right? And so text is interesting. Uh, one turns to Christ. It says, uh, then he said, 42, uh, 23, 42, it says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And notice what Jesus says. It says, uh, and he said to him, truly, I tell you today, hmm, very interesting, you will be with me in paradise. Now, the word he uses for paradise there, the word he uses for paradise is the same word using the LXX or the, G, or the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis chapters two to three and it and in genesis chapter two uh ch chapters two to three it talks about the garden of eden <laughs> so in other words remember i, I gotta go, i gotta go there remember what happens in genesis uh, uh three uh, uh adam and eve sin or adam and a woman sin 
and they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They're kicked east of Eden, the text says. And what happens? Uh, um, uh, a cherubim is placed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden with a, with a flaming, fiery sword, barring entrance back into the Garden of Eden. So in other words, what, what the text was setting us up for, and we learn about it all throughout the Old Testament, is that basically in order for humanity to enter back into that Eden presence of God, or what Eden was intended to be, uh, in order for humanity to enter back into that, guess what? They had to, somebody had to undergo the, the sword, the fiery flame of God's judgment. And what Christ does here is he allows humanity back into the presence of God, fam. He allows humanity back into the presence of God because he was the one to undergo the judgment, the curse of God. Notice in this text, uh, the earth goes dark. And, and remember in the prophets, they talk about, no, no, when the curse of God comes, the sun will stop shedding its light. Creation will actually revert back. It will be uh, this decreation event. The creator himself will undergo his own judgment for the sins of his people. Right. And so Jesus is fulfilling so much here. And there's so much in these texts that it's just mind boggling. Uh, that this is actually real, right? And that God actually did do this in real space, time, in history. And so, uh, yes, if, if this doesn't ignite your praise, I don't know what will, right? Jesus is accomplishing. Remember, all throughout the book of Luke, he's going to say, he's going to use this one Greek word, day, and it means it is necessary, right? It was necessary for God's plan to unfold the way it did. And you see Luke uh, playing on all these themes here. Last chapter, 24. We get the resurrection and ascension in Luke 24. Now, Luke spends more time on the resurrection more than any other gospel. I wish I had time to talk about how much Luke uh, really emphasizes the resurrection. And so Christ, according to the Bible, listen, doesn't just suffer death, but he actually surpasses it. Right. He actually goes past death and he is, 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 is vindicated. He is the one who 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 dies and is faithful to God in his death. But he is vindicated as the truly righteous one in his resurrection. It is his reward before it is our reward. Right. And so um, Christ comes and he basically in this text. No, no. He gives them a lesson in hermeneutics. Right. He the disciples are on the way to Emmaus and he's like, yo, look, y'all got to read the scriptures. The whole scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would suffer first and then be glorified. So the ex so the, so the resurrection is actually Jesus's uh, uh, glorification. Right. It is. It is. If, if, if the if the pattern of redemption is humiliation and exaltation, I know I'm talking a lot. It's so much and it's so good. Listen, if the pattern of uh, redemption is humiliation, exaltation, the resurrection is his exaltation. Now, what's interesting, Jesus rises from the grave. He says the thrust of scripture, fam, the thrust of scripture prophesied this. Right. So in other words, when you read the scriptures properly, it is about uh, uh, the people of God often undergoing a type of suffering. And then that being the pathway to the glory. All right. Um, and Jesus shows because of his exaltation that he's king. Now, what's interesting in this text is it talks about Jesus's ascension. Right. He doesn't just uh, arise from the grave. He ascends to the right hand of God. And Paul, when you get to Paul, no, no, he's just going to assume it. He's going to say Jesus was at the right hand of God. Right. He assumes his ascension. So if if, if Jesus's resurrection was his exaltation, then his his ascension is his installation. <laughs> Meaning he is now installed as the risen, the crucified and risen Lord and King of the entire cosmos. Right. And this is the king 
in the kingdom that God has sent us out to proclaim. Now notice the text is going to leave us on a cliffhanger. He's going to say, yo, go back to Jerusalem and wait for power on high. And it picks up in the book of Acts because in the power that on high is the spirit that is actually bestowed upon Christ. And then Christ bestows upon his people to send them out into the world, proclaiming the gospel to the Jew and Gentile, to slave free, everybody in the, in the, in the, in the known world. And what's interesting about that, listen, is that the closing scene of Luke is the opening scene of Acts, right? Luke stops where X starts, right? And it is there that we're going to pick up in the second half of Luke's writings. And in Acts, we'll see that the gospel goes to the Gentiles, that it goes, that the plan of God, that was a mystery that was hidden and locked up for ages, Paul says, but has now been revealed, is fulfilled. And the, the gospel going to the Gentiles, fam, prepares the way of how the gospel got to each and every one of us. This great plan of God, this story of what God is doing in the universe, if you have trusted in Christ, involves you. This is the grand story of reality. This is the true story of the world. And because of Jesus, we all are a part of it, right? May we remember and reflect on God's beautiful story of redemption in the world today and our place in it as we go about our day. Let's pray. God, we ask for the grace to remember the story that we're all a part of. God, I pray that our heart wouldn't be captured by other narratives, but by the narrative of scripture that we've been engrafted and enfolded into. We thank you.